In today's Worship Wednesday podcast, we have our recording from this past Sunday, June 4th, 2017, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday really focuses on the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. During the sermon, I talk a little bit about um, preaching by themes or by series, and the point there, those things are in Christian freedom. You know, we use Christian freedom whether we follow liturgy or follow a a series or a, uh, a theme over a number of weeks. But too often, when churches um, or church bodies follow by series, they they tend to focus mostly on this is what you should do and this is what you should avoid. And too often, if this goes on for an extended period of time, worship kind of degenerates into life coach and advice giving and um, gets further and further away from simply addressing law and gospel. Now, a series is a good thing to do on occasion, just to change it up a little bit and to help people see um, see that the church here really follows a cycle and has certain emphases. But when we preach through a sermon series, or when a church uses a sermon series, the main goal should not be moralizing, which is simply using the law of God to try and produce good behavior. The main goal is to convict people of sin and to point them to their Savior so that the focus remains on Jesus. And since God hasn't changed, God has never changed, and human nature has not changed since the fall into sin, um, then the way God works hasn't changed. He still, still sends his spirit through his word and sacrament, and that is where our focus ought to be. So you listen for that. Um, I probably didn't say it as well as I could have, but I hope you enjoy. Worship from Pentecost 2017. Happy birthday to you all, as today is the day of Pentecost, what is commonly referred to or marked as the birthday of the Christian church. We'll see that especially in our reading from Acts chapter 2, which we'll consider in our sermon today, and we'll see that all of this is both in fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament and Christ's own prophecy in John chapter 16 from Monday, Thursday evening. The service is laid out for you in your service folder. We'll begin with opening hymn 183, and continue in the very front portion of the red hymnal on page 15. God bless your worship.
We continue the very front portion of your red hymnal on page 15. Please rise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. servant of Christ, and by his authority I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Come to us this joyful day with your sevenfold gift of grace. 
Rekindle in our hearts the holy fire of your love, that in a true and living faith we may tell abroad the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Father, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Old Testament prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. The last days would be marked by a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel writes, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male servants and the female servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 51b, as found on page 87.
Our second reading comes from Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the rushing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw divided tongues that were like fire resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, since the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak fluently. Now there were godly men, godly Jewish men from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When this sound was heard, a crowd came together and was confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were completely baffled and said to each other, Look, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speaking in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and of Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring in our own languages the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and perplexed. They kept saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked them and said, They are full of new wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and spoke loudly and clearly to them. Men of Judea and all you residents of Jerusalem, understand this and listen closely to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. On the contrary, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what God says will happen in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a rising cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And this will happen. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of our God. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. It is good for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Alleluia. for the reading of the Gospel. Our Gospel reading from John chapter 16, Christ's promise to send the Holy Spirit is fulfilled at Pentecost. Jesus speaks, But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is good for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. We continue with our confession of faith taken from Luther's explanation to the third article. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day he will raise me and all the dead, and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 176.
call our reading. We particularly consider our reading from Acts chapter 2. It's been said, and not always without truth, but it's been said that it's very easy in the Lutheran church to hear good preaching about Easter. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus rose from the dead, and that is, that is the proof that your sin is forgiven, objective fact, unchangeable fact, absolute certainty. But the Sundays after Easter, as, as we kind of come down from the Mount of Transfiguration at the beginning of Lent, as we walk away from the cross of Good Friday, as we walk away from the empty tomb, and descend once more from the Mount of Ascension, we get this one last Sunday marked in red. This one Sunday where we see the Holy Spirit poured out in a very special way on this awesome and exciting day marked as the, the birthday of the New Testament church. But then after that, green Sunday after green Sunday, and you know, the average pastor's closet only has so many green ties. The Sundays after Pentecost, where we look at what Jesus has to say for us in our Christian lives, well, they just don't quite seem to compare and line up with and match up with and equal to the great high festivals and the high points of the Christian life. As we turn away just a little bit from what Jesus has done, we turn our attention a little bit more closely to what Jesus has said and taught and commanded and encouraged, the Lutheran Church, above all, seems to be the least equipped for encouraging Christian living. Think of that. It's been said. And at times, there has been a bit of a truth, a bit of a grain of truth in that that the Lutherans are really good at talking about the objective facts of Jesus. But as for my life, it sounds like, it sounds like I just get to be forgiven, and that's it. I don't have to worry about anything, there's no, there's no guilt hanging out of my head, there's no leverage forcing me to do anything, there's no, there's no checklist that I have to follow or that I have tucked in my back pocket as I walk out the door on Sunday morning. We don't typically have, you know, a series of Sundays on how to be a, a, better, a better husband and wife or child or father. We don't typically cover topics in a topical way like, how do I, how do I deal with the sins of society? How do I relate with the culture around me? How do I address the sin of, of lust, or hatred, or anger, or lack of patience, or coveting. By and large, the Lutheran Church simply says, come here, confess your sins, we'll announce your forgiveness to you, and go. Your sin is forgiven. Perhaps that's a somewhat oversimplification, perhaps a little bit of a caricature, I'll admit. But the question, are we, Christians, Lutherans, are we prepared for living a Christian life? Or should we look elsewhere? 
And this idea is compounded by the fact that when we look at the high points of Scripture, what we see are, are great and shining examples of Noah and his family confidently marching into the ark, and the ark being buoyed up on the water. We see the examples of the Israelites walking through the Red Sea, and God destroying the Egyptians as he leads them with, with fire and cloud, provides for them with manna and quail. We see Elijah at the Mount Carmel, and we see fire drop from heaven, even on Pentecost here. Flames of fire that descended and covered the heads, or you know, lighted on top of the heads, lighted gently on top of the heads of the disciples as they spoke in tongues, real languages that people could understand. And hearing that, and seeing that, and we come. And by and large, our hymns, well, we sing to an organ, and our hymns convey in very straightforward terms without trying to manipulate emotion in any sort of a way. Come Holy Spirit, God and Lord, be all your graces outpour. Are we deficient in our teaching? Is the Lutheran kind of left in the lurch as though every other Christian denomination has more going for it? More excitement, more involvement, more feeling, more heart? Is the Holy Spirit not present here because we don't have tongues of fire and speaking in different languages? And then on top of that, could you find any more offensive words to the human mind than these? I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. And at its core, what you begin to see and recognize, I'm sure, is that for the most part, what we do is we read God's Word, we talk about God's Word, we baptize our babies, we commune at the Lord's table. There's some, some guidance and some encouragement, but for the most part, for the most part, every Sunday you walk out hopefully knowing and hearing, hey, I'm forgiven. And sinful nature wants to grab hold of that as a lever to use against you, to pry you away from Christ. What a dangerous thought. Because, because we don't have we don't have anything else left hanging over our heads. We don't have a lever of guilt to say, well, God will forgive you if you do X, Y, and Z, and if you continue to do A, B, and C. And we don't have this list of things, oh shoot, I have to go home this week and put these on my mirror so that I, I remember to do this and this and this in order to be a better spouse or single person or grandparent or child. And I have to do this and this and this to finally break free of that one sin that, that I just can't conquer. Where does that all come from? Where does that lead to? It's the question. What sorts of powerful Pentecost should we expect? And 
on top of that, or as a corollary, one might say. In addition to expecting and looking for this sort of powerful Pentecost, are we looking for emotion? Are we looking for a list? And does somebody else have something that we don't? Because I've I've never been in a worship service where somebody fell down to the floor and started speaking in tongues, and I've never seen flames of fire hovering over anybody's head, not even at a baptism. So what is our expectation? And based on what we teach, will that expectation be fulfilled? Good question. The disciples had been gathered together, this whole group of 120. It's early in the morning. We don't know if they're gathered in the upper room or at the temple courts. They're, they're in the city of Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised that he will send. And once again, the city is full of visitors on this day of Pentecost, the day when the, day when the world would really come to Jerusalem for this festival. The festival 50 days after the Passover, more or less. And as they're gathered together, God sends this, this sound of a violent wind. God sends these flames of fire on their heads. And God permits them, gives them the ability to speak in a sort of a way that they had never studied before, that they had never known, and that isn't really equal today. But what was the point? And for you and me, Christians today, have we received the short end of the stick? Are we barking up the wrong tree? To use every sort of metaphor that comes to mind. Are we on the right track? By saying that the Holy Spirit does His work through the Word and through the sacrament. And if that is the case, what does Christian living look like? Or, the other option, that you and I have been sorely deluded and ought to look elsewhere for more encouragement in our Christian living. More guidance, more motivation. Has God left us to figure that out on our own? Or do we really, do we really have before us the very Word of God and the very Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised to send. And that's the nub of it. What sort of a Pentecost prophecy do we expect? Because the way that the prophet Joel puts it, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my Spirit on all people, on my servants, men and women, signs in the waters above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will stop shining, the moon will turn to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And where is the prophesying, the dreaming, the visions, the tongue, the fire, the billows of smoke, the darkness? In other words, what are we expecting? And as people who say, I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus.
Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. As people who say that and believe it and subscribe to it and at your confirmation you said you would hold on to that truth even if it cost you your life. Is God trustworthy? Or should we look somewhere else? As an example, think back to Noah, those high points in Bible history. Noah, the crossing of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud, the manna, Elijah, Pentecost. Each of those times, how did God work? Because it is reasonable to expect that the God who does not change, and the human nature which has not changed since Adam and Eve fell into sin, that if God has not changed and people has not changed, have not changed, then the way God works hasn't changed either. So are Lutherans today a little bit bereft, a little bit laggy, because we don't have signs and prophesying and tongues and signs of fire and billows of smoke and a moon that turns to blood and a sun that turns to darkness? Should we look somewhere else? Or is our worship wrongly centered on so much of the Word of God and so little demanded from me? Walking out here without any guilt and the simple nature even says, without any motivation to change my life because God's forgiven me. Right? Maybe that question has crossed your mind. And especially looking around our town as there are over a dozen other Christian churches and ministries, what is it that makes our church unique? What is it of value that we find in the Bible? And what is it specifically of value that we find in being a Lutheran Christian? Somebody who holds to the fact that we confess the Holy Spirit only works through His chosen tools. That's the inside of your front cover. One of the founding confessional statements of the Lutheran Church reads like this. For the Holy Spirit is given to people through the Word and Sacraments, the means, or tools, through which God works. Whenever and wherever it pleases God, this ministry creates faith in the hearts of those who hear the gospel. So what do you believe? Whether you realize it and recognize it or not, what you believe is exactly what we confess in the confession of sins and in the confession of faith. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. I can't even make the least of a, a tiny little movement toward Him. And that fact, that fact drives everything we do. Because you start to pull the pieces together. You've got the fact that you and I, humans, Human nature hasn't changed since Adam and Eve fell into sin. And yet, Jesus Christ shares, present tense, shares our humanity. Jesus Christ, who, as you know, we've talked about numerous times, 
He, he lived within the womb of the Virgin Mary. He walked the earth, fingers and toes. We had this, had this conversation with Joel this morning. Did Jesus wear a diaper? Of course. He was a baby like any other baby. Yet, right now, that same Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God with all authority, all power in heaven and on earth, and he still brings people into his kingdom. He still brings people into his kingdom by sending the Holy Spirit. And how does he do that? The exact, exact same question that we've been talking about and talking around. What sort of Pentecost prophecy should we expect? When Jesus says, if I go, I will send the counselor to you, what is it that we expect? Do we expect, should we expect, should we look for and chase after the emotional high of manipulative music? It's not to say music shouldn't touch our emotions, it should. But what is the point of Christian worship? What does biblical worship look like? Ask Jesus himself. How does he send the Holy Spirit? And what is the point of those tongues of fire and those languages? Because if, if it's about the tongues of fire and the languages, or if it's about the fire falling from heaven and walking through on dry ground and waking up to manna and floating on top of a worldwide flood, if it's really, really, really about those tremendous signs, then we are sadly mistaken. But look at Acts chapter 2. The crowd comes together. They, they hear this tremendous windstorm. Probably not too dissimilar from that sudden storm we had yesterday. They see this incredible crowd. Not much bigger than we have here. This incredible crowd speaking in all sorts of languages that they had never, ever studied. And they see this fire, kind of like these candles, placed on top of everyone's head. And Peter says, Men of Judea and all you residents of Jerusalem, understand this and listen closely to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. On the contrary, this is in fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said. Did you catch it? Peter didn't say, well, tongues of fire for you too. You can come over here and I'll light you up. He didn't say, languages for you also. He didn't say, we're going to have this windstorm every Sunday so that you keep coming back. He said, listen closely to my words. And the signs that he points to and the application that he makes here in Acts chapter 2 really is saying that the people of Jerusalem had seen the sun stop shining nearly two months previously. Those three hours on Good Friday, they had seen that. They had lived there. They had wondered, what does this mean? <coughs> they had seen the blood-red moon of the Passover that year. And perhaps wondered, what does this mean? 
And so they, they gather together. They see these tongues of fire, they hear this tremendous windstorm, they hear, they hear these languages. Perhaps with a little bit of a Galilean accent, maybe, you know, kind of like an Arkansas accent would be our American equivalent. They hear the wonders of God being declared in their own language. And there it is. God reveals himself in the Word, once again. That even the, the greatest fireworks that God had ever poured out on humanity, the greatest fireworks that the New Testament church had ever seen, wasn't for its own purpose, but rather, but rather so that people would listen to what God had to say. And God's been remarkably consistent with that all the way back to the beginning of time. Because God hasn't changed the way he works. In a way that he addresses the human nature that hasn't changed since Adam and Eve fell into sin. The flood? Well, by the time the flood waters lifted up that ark, it was too late for everybody outside of the ark who had ridiculed Noah and his preaching for 120 years. The Israelites perched at the edge of the Red Sea. They were grumbling and complaining, and yet God had said, I will take you to the promised land. I will fight for you. You need only to be still. And their trust was not misplaced. Because God opened the sea. And then closed the sea. And every morning, as they walked out of their tents to gather manna, there was the wondering, well, <coughs> will God provide today? As they gathered double on Friday to cover Friday and Saturday, they wondered, well, will God really provide enough? Or will today's manna go bad, just like the extra manna we had previously in the week? And yet their trust had not been misplaced. God's word held true. Elijah at Mount Carmel, he had been preaching, and finally God steps in and absolutely demonstrates his power so that God's people could keep on preaching with a little bit less of a hindrance from the false teaching around them. God's point and God's purpose was so that people would listen to his word. And the same thing here at the Mount of Transfiguration. As God reveals his glory, as Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit in a special way, in a very visible way, in a very evident way, as he gathers this incredibly large crowd together, Peter points back to the Word of God. And he says, exactly what you see and you hear today is exactly what God had prophesied about through that prophet Joel. Through that prophet Joel, God had said, in the last days, prophesying visions, dreams, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the moon turning into blood, the sun turning to darkness. And Peter, in his sermon there, he says, all of that is fulfilled. The prophesying is fulfilled. The sun stopping its shining had been fulfilled. And I could cry. The moon turning to blood had been fulfilled. In that Passover full moon that year. And still today, 
sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams. That is still true in the Lutheran Church today. Not not looking away from the Word of God and chasing after some sort of other, other dream or vision that people claim to have. But I'll just ask you, as somebody who's been baptized into the Word of God, preached into the Kingdom of God, received the body and blood of Jesus, your dream or your vision, well, what's your eternity going to look like? Now tell me today that Christians don't have a vision of what that is. But you, upon you, this prophecy is still fulfilled. That when God baptized you into his family, he sent the Holy Spirit into your heart also. Not with a visible tongue of fire, because God's word is clear on that that he works through holy baptism to create faith, to strengthen faith, to wash sinful hearts clean. And that when God brought you to faith, he really gave you that little bit of a sense that when I see and I read the pages of Scripture, the Jesus I see there, the Jesus I hear there, the vision, the pictures of heaven that I see there, those are mine. Because this Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Because this Jesus is my Savior. This Jesus has forgiven my sin. This Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. That's what Joel is talking about here. That you, simply because God made you a Christian, you are able to speak on God's behalf. To speak this is what God has done for me. This is how I know my God is trustworthy. Not because I've seen such tremendous things like an ark floating on top of the world. Not because I've walked through that Red Sea. Not because I've seen fire drop from heaven or land on my head. This I know is true. Because God has said so. Absolutely trustworthy. So the question, are Lutherans, well, a little too straight-laced, a little too boring, a little bit heavy on who God is, a little bit light on what Christians do? Well, maybe. But only, only if who God is and what Jesus has done is left far and away from you. But because Jesus has risen from the dead, and because Jesus still sends the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament, you can be sure, you can be absolutely certain that there is no better place to look for the word of God than what Lutherans have always taught about what scripture says. That human nature has not changed. I cannot by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to Him. That God has not changed. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith, and He does this and continues to do this for the whole Christian church on earth. 
for what purpose? All this he did, that I should be his own, and live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as Jesus Christ has risen from death and lives and rules eternally. So I ask you, with all that in mind, all that in mind is Lutheranism, Christianity, or the Wisconsin Synod. Are we just a little too deficient and too light on how you should live your Christian life? It's a fair question. And for an answer, simply go back to the words of Jesus the actual prophecy of Pentecost, which is still fulfilled today, that Jesus has made you his own, to live under him, in his kingdom, today and forever. So I ask you, as a Christian, what does this mean? How then shall we live? Well, the answer is right there in the very word of God. The answer is right there in the word of God. All this he did, that I should be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him. Not by, not by random works of penance, not by a, a guilt trip and a leverage against my, my sinful nature, which really squashes good works that God wants to create. Not by walking out of the church today with a list, here's my checklist to do this week, in order to be a good enough Christian for God. No, quite the contrary. Jesus has washed you. Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to you. He has made you his own. So look at your life. How can you serve him? Amen. God bless. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, that goes beyond all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
Please rise for prayer. Lord Jesus, you call to yourself all who labor and are heavy laden, to refresh them and give rest to their souls. Let these guests receive your love and the heavenly peace you have prepared here for your people on earth. Keep them from intentions and unbelief that none may partake of this holy sacrament to their own judgment. Take off from them the spoiled garments of the flesh and of their own righteousness, and adorn them with the garment of merit purchased with your blood. Strengthen their faith, increase their love and hope, and hereafter have them sit at your heavenly table, where you will have your people eat of the eternal manna and drink the river of your pleasure forevermore. Hear us to your own sake, Lord Jesus. And we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. We continue with the sacrament as found on page 21. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for you all. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Take and drink. Now may this true body and blood of our Savior strengthen and preserve you in the true faith and to life everlasting. Depart at peace with God, sins forgiven. Amen.
continue with the Song of Simeon on page 24. Please rise.
We'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. We give thanks, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us with this Holy Supper. We pray that through it you will strengthen our faith in you and increase our love for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace.
Good morning once again. Uh, special welcome to the guests worshiping with us today. A couple of announcements um, are listed there on page six. God bless you.